Uh, Mark 8, 34 to 37 is our passage for this morning. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Pete Norris. That's very kind intro. Thanks, mate. Um, I, I don't know about you, um, when, when I was a bit younger, when I was a kid, my family had a habit of taking us to Woodlands um, just once a year, never anymore. But once a year in the summer, we'd go to Woodlands. If you're not familiar, it's basically Devon's only good theme park. Um, and uh, it's just down the road. And uh, when you're a kid, it's absolutely amazing. Like, it's totally amazing. You go back as an adult and you're like, mm. um, But uh, one of the things they had in Woodlands was these things called death slides. Now, um, I don't know about their sales tactic with these, really, because uh, to call something a death slide doesn't sound very appetizing. But um, it's basically, if you've not seen them before, they're kind of like a ledge with a sheer drop, and then they kind of curve off at the bottom. And um, they're very high, and they're very fast. And as a child, you sit on the edge of these death slides, and you think to yourself, there is nothing right about this situation. I'm going to, especially when perhaps you're more my size, you think I'm just going to roll down that, not slide down it. And, um, you, but you have to fight your instincts and trust that the, the designers of this slide got their physics right. So you kind of close your eyes and you say, three, two, one, jump. And then when you go, you realize it's the most exhilarating thing. The thing that looked like literal death was actually... Um, incredibly life-giving and lots of fun. And um, in John's gospel elsewhere, Jesus says that he comes to bring life and life in all its fullness. But then in this passage in Mark 8, he says if we want to follow him, we have to deny ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. We have to pick up our cross and to lose our lives if we want to follow him and find them. How on earth does that make any sense? Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a paradox. In other words, something that is completely contradictory. And the Bible, unfortunately, is full of them. There's a whole book by a guy called Krish Kandai called Paradoxology, which is just dedicated to looking at all the paradoxes in the Bible. I've spent a significant part of my Christian life wrestling with these paradoxes in the Bible and trying to work out how do I faithfully live here and now according to the teaching of Jesus. Because these paradoxes seem like a kind of problem to be solved, but actually they're really an invitation to wrestle. If that's the calling, how do I work that out in my life uh, here and now? And the life that Jesus calls each of us to is incredibly tough because he invites us into his countercultural kingdom, the kingdom of which is often at odds with the kingdom of this world. Take forgiveness, for example, something pretty central to the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus makes forgiveness for his followers a non-negotiable. If you're a Christian, I'm afraid forgiveness is part of the, part of the deal. Um, and everyone thinks it's a good idea until they have to do it. Um, but our culture has such an uneasy relationship with forgiveness. On the one hand, there are so many kind of damaging and hurtful things in our culture that, our, that society just kind of shrugs its shoulders at. And it's like, well, it's not, it's not that bad. 
And on the other hand, there are some things which our culture sees as totally unforgivable. Things that we just completely write people off if they've done particular things. Forgiveness in the kingdom of Jesus is completely different. There is so much in our society that actually God says, hey, that needs forgiveness as well. But also, it's a kind of forgiveness that is available to anyone for anything at any time. The kingdom of this world is often at at odds with the kingdom of Jesus. So which kingdom do you trust? Imagine for a moment that there are two builders on a building site about to start a building project uh, for a house. And the first builder, he's fresh out of college. He's just finished his bricklaying you know, course, and this is his first time. And then the other guy, he, he's about to retire. This is like his thousandth build. Um, and uh, who would you trust? Who would you trust to build the house? Who's obviously going to be the person with the most experience. And Jesus is the experienced builder that is worthy of your trust. He is in the process of building his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven through his church and through his people. On the other hand, our, our kingdom, the culture of our kingdom rather um, looks to things like technology as the kind of ultimate problem solver. The pandemic showed us exactly as a society where we put our trust. We look to technology to give us new vaccines, new things to combat this new disease. The problem is the things in our, the kingdom of our culture often overpromise and underdeliver. Take, for example, the rise and initiation of social media in the mid-2000s. It promised us greater connection with one another. But actually, it's created a lonelier, more anxious, more confused culture than ever before. The kingdom of Jesus is exactly what it says it is. It is more beautiful, more whole than any of us can possibly imagine. It is a coming reality where love, joy, peace, and goodness will reign. They will overflow, where crying and death and pain will be no more. It does exactly, it is exactly what Jesus um, says it is. Here's the really difficult bit. The difficult bit is that Jesus invites everyone, every one of us, to live in that future reality in the present. This is why following Jesus is so hard. We're trying to live in a kingdom that hasn't yet been fully established yet, which needs a level of faith. When I was um, a kid in the mid-90s, the only time I really followed football um, was, uh, was around then. And I followed Newcastle United. And that was kind of like when we had Shearer, Ginola, like some like classic names. And um, in the mid-2000s or early 2000s, I let that support go because it was not well, not going well um and uh, and i think you know if back then someone had said to me um you need to believe that newcastle are going to win this year's premier league and you need to live according to that reality <laughs> people would have thought i was nuts people would have thought what an earthy it's, it's just crazy kind of living But that's also the kind of radical trust that Jesus invites you to, to live as if this coming kingdom were a reality in the present, where sometimes, if we're honest, that's really hard to imagine. Here's the next tough bit, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, like we've got on this very snazzy diagram behind me, you live with a foot in each kingdom. 
And this is really tough because our kingdom, the kingdom of our culture, is the air that each of us breathe. And both kingdoms, the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of our culture, tell us different stories, the competing stories from the moment we're born. So, for example, this is the kind of uh, story your culture tells you from the moment that you're born. You're just a bunch of random atoms bunching into one another, no real purpose, and there's no bigger story. All we have is here and now, so grab as much as you can, enjoy as much as you can, for tomorrow we die. <laughs> That's basically our culture's story. Life, according to our culture, is found in the endless pursuits of personal happiness and just gathering more stuff. That's it. But that story isn't compatible with the kingdom of Jesus. But it doesn't stop most of us living according to the kingdom of our culture. Most of us know that happiness is a kind of dead-end street, but it doesn't stop us trying to find it endlessly, restlessly. The comedian and actor uh, Jim Carrey famously said a few years ago, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. It's empty. The kingdom of our culture looks like life to us, but it actually leads to death. The kingdom of Jesus looks like death to us, but it actually leads to life. The question is, whose kingdom do you trust? Now, in 2007, uh, my youth group went on a mission trip to Romania. If you'd like to see um, a little snapshot of what Pete Norris looked like in 2007, here you go. That's, <laughs> that's me in Romania, everyone. Complete with emo studded belt and um, some very bad hair. It's tragic, really, isn't it? Anyway, anyway, that's me in Romania in 2007. And um, we were staying in these kind of mountains and uh, right next to what I can only describe as a miniature mountain. Now, um, some of you will think, no, that's a complete contradiction. How can you have a miniature mountain? If you go to the next photo, this is the miniature mountain. In my head, when I was getting this ready, I, I, I could remember this photo. I remember it looking much, much more dramatic than this. Um, so, but this is this kind of mini mountain right next to where we were staying. And one of my youth leaders, who was a bit of a fitness fanatic and someone who liked pushing himself physically, um, basically talked all of us into climbing this mountain. And at first, like, it's not too steep. Like, it's, it's all right. But then after about kind of half an hour, we were scrambling up these rock faces with no ropes, no harnesses, no nothing. This is before health and safety regulation had kind of dropped into youth work. Um, and uh, if I'm honest, I was terrified. I was totally terrified. And, but I trusted my youth leader, perhaps to my, you know, silliness. But um, I trusted him. And he guided my steps, literally. He stood back, watching where I was on this quite sharp rock face, and was telling me exactly where to make my moves. Saying, put your foot there, put your hand there. And I couldn't really see anything, because I was pressing my face and holding on for dear life against this rock. But he, on the other hand, was just telling me where to go. If my youth leader was inexperienced, unfit, tended to overestimate his abilities, I wouldn't have trusted him. I wouldn't have trusted him, but I knew enough about him to know that he was trustworthy. Jesus invites us, invites you to follow him as if his coming kingdom was a reality. But it's not always safe because sometimes following Jesus clashes with the culture of the, the kingdom of the culture that we live in. But the builder is trustworthy. 
In uh, the Narnia series of books, there's a moment where Susan asks Mr. Beaver whether or not Aslan is safe. And I think Mr. Beaver gets it right. If, if, if you need a spoiler, by the way, Aslan is supposed to represent Jesus. Um, he says, safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's safe. Uh, sorry, he's trustworthy, but he's not always safe. Following him isn't always safe. And in Mark 8, Jesus makes this invitation to his countercultural kingdom known and fleshes out what it looks like. So in verse 34, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. Jesus invites you to believe who he says he is elsewhere in the Gospels, but that's not all. He also asks you to follow him, to take up your cross and deny yourself, to lose your life in order to find it. The biblical scholar, uh, Tom Wright, who I think makes it into every talk we have here, um, says uh, following Jesus is more or less Mark's definition of what being a Christian means. And Jesus is not leading us on a pleasant afternoon hike, but on a walk into danger and risk. Or did we suppose that the kingdom of God would merely mean a few minor adjustments in our ordinary lives? Following Jesus is tough, but it's where beauty and life, true life, is found. Perhaps the biggest kind of paradox, to go back to that word, in these verses is in verse 35, where it says, Jesus says, whoever wants to lose, the, uh, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. The original hearers of Mark's gospel lived at a time that, that Christianity was diametrically opposed to the culture of Rome, and they knew it. They knew it because Emperor Nero was ramping up the persecution of Christians in kind of AD 60 onwards. Claiming allegiance to Jesus literally put you at odds with the Roman Empire in the most extreme way. And Mark's kind of emphasis on discipleship and faithfulness to uh, Jesus throughout the gospel is, is not to back down on everything that's pushing against you, to not back down considering all that kind of threat of the Roman Empire Jesus was inviting his followers to have their minds and hearts shaped according to his coming kingdom and not be distracted by all those kind of outward forces and outward cultural forces. In the same way, we must choose which story and which kingdom we're going to live in. And there is a sense in which you make that choice at some point for the first time. You kind of get to that point like, yes, I think Jesus was real yeah, I want to follow him, and you make that kind of first commitment. But also that choice is almost like a daily one. Sometimes for some of us, if you're as uh, bad as following Jesus as me, you do it almost moment by moment. Um, but as you make those choices, as you make those choices to sit in the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of this culture, God continues to transform you into the kingdom-ready, beautiful, image-bearing people that you are always designed to be. And the importance of choices, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than in what it was before. All your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a more heavenly creature or a more hellish creature. Jesus invites you to trust him, to choose to follow him, even if at times that doesn't make sense or doesn't seem safe? Have you decided 
which kingdom you're going to trust in, which story you're going to live in. And not making a decision is also making a decision. By default, that means that we're probably living in the kingdom of this culture. What does living in the kingdom of Jesus look like moment by moment? I think it just looks like surrender. It means letting go of our kind of best ideas of what we think the good life looks like and choosing to allow him to shape and mold the pattern of our lives, the choices that we make. And like C.S. Lewis says, every time we make a choice to live in that kingdom, he transforms us into more beautiful people that reflect him and reflect him into the world. So as we kind of come into land, I want to put something to you this morning. And it is a bit of a challenge. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. But actually, if you're honest, that's more of like an intellectual belief. And it hasn't gone out into the kind of fullness of your life. Maybe there's a fresh call on you this morning from God to realign yourself, to choose to step into that kingdom, to choose to follow Jesus and to allow that to impact your whole life rather than just your head. Maybe you're returning to church after a couple of years away. Maybe this is a moment to say, Lord, I'm going to recommit myself to following you, to living in your kingdom. Maybe you're new to faith altogether. You're new to church. You're thinking, goodness, this is all a bit strange, isn't it? Singing songs on a Sunday and getting used to all the <laughs> strange things. But maybe you've come to that point where you've, you believe that Jesus existed. You're convinced that he existed as a historical character, all that kind of really important stuff. But maybe it's also time for you to take that step to kind of push yourself off the death slide and to trust that Jesus is who he says he is and to commit yourself to following him for the first time. So um, we're going to invite the band uh, back up. And uh, why don't we just stand together?